0: Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. We have a woman from our community. We're gonna call her Lee on today's episode. She's gonna be sharing her story. The first part will be her story, and the second part will be after she and I actually talked privately quite a bit about her setting a no-contact boundary. So when you're done with this episode, make sure you stay tuned for next week. These are several months apart where we did these interviews. It wasn't the same day where she talks about what happened since today's interview and how she set no contact and how that's gone. So stay tuned. At the beginning of the podcast, I've been sharing some of the reviews from Apple Podcasts. Here's one we received on Saturday. This podcast was the first podcast I found on my search for an understanding of my situation. I am in such a better place because of the knowledge this podcast gave me. It launched my real recovery from my husband's abuse. It took me a while to label my spouse's behavior as abuse, but I eventually learned what abuse was and I learned what safety looks and feels like. This podcast was the catalyst for my safety and recovery journey. Thank you, Anne, for your devotion to this podcast and for your devotion to helping other women. My marriage was not restored as I had hoped, but I have so much more confidence, peace, and sanity. My life is far from perfect and I still have work to do, but I am in such a better place now because of the education you have provided. The knowledge you gifted me has helped to lead me out of the wilderness. Thank you, Anne, for caring about us. Fight on, Anne. I appreciate this in return, uh, your reviews and your comments on the podcast and your, well, wishes really sustain me. Um, because it's really hard for me too. single mom homeschooling, uh, like it's hard for all of us. So the, the good news is we're all in this together. We're all in the trenches together. The bad news is we're all in a trench, but <laughs> hopefully we'll make our way through life to safety and peace. and, The other cool thing is, as we all support each other, we all raise each other up. And we create an army of healthy women to help other women get to safety. And that's the thing that's really important. And speaking of army of women who help, when women join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, they have access to multiple live sessions a day where they can actually talk to our amazing coaches and other women who are going through this. It's not only multiple sessions a day, but it's in every single time zone. So go to our website, btr.org, to learn more. Okay, now we're just going to jump right in to Lee's story.
1: Welcome, Lee. Hi, thanks for having me. Many women in this situation
0: go through years and years of emotional abuse and psychological abuse, and they don't even realize it. So let's talk about your experience. You got married really young. In the beginning,
1: did you realize it was abuse? No, I did not know I was in an abusive relationship until pretty much my mid-30s. So and I got married at 19, and we were really young, and so I just thought it was a maturity thing and that eventually we would get past that. And there was also addiction within our relationship, and again, I thought that that was just a thing that we would be able to get over at some point once we, you know, grew up. <laughs>
0: And what types of things did he quote-unquote struggle with, right? With the, in the addict world, they're always like, he's struggling with this or that. And I'm like, well, he's choosing, right? There's some choices he's making. What were some of the things
1: that he was choosing? Definitely alcohol. He really struggled throughout our entire marriage with alcohol. And unfortunately, I didn't address it soon enough. And it just became a bigger and bigger problem. What about Pornography. Absolutely. There was always pornography in our home. And I think I just became immune to that part of it, though. I felt like if I could get him to stop drinking, everything else would fall into place. And again, that came too with age. So I thought, oh, as soon as we grew up, he'll stop drinking and the pornography will go away.
0: Yeah. A lot of victims have that feeling of just about the porn without the drinking, like, okay, once he can get this pornography thing under control, then he's not going to act like this anymore. So that's hard. That's hard to kind of recognize that these behaviors, all of these behaviors are abusive. And unless they address the abuse, they're going to escalate. They're not going to get better. So what do you think was the biggest contributing factor to you not recognizing it was abuse throughout
1: those years? Comparison. And I feel like so many women do this. And this is something that I am so glad we get to talk about today because I've been thinking a lot about it as I hear like different stories from friends and family members. Just the idea that someone else's situation is worse than yours or your life isn't that bad because you have a nicer home or my life isn't that bad because he doesn't say this to me or he comes home at a decent hour. It was just that comparison of hearing other people's stories and just finding one thing that might have been better in my life than someone else's made me assume that it was still okay to stay in that relationship.
0: Mm. So talk about that. I think a lot of women do this. That makes sense to me, but I haven't ever actually thought about it before. Like, well, mine does the dishes every night. So I'm so lucky because I have that or mine has a go- really good job or something like that. What were the things that you thought were really
1: the things that were better or the things that you were proud of? You know, this is hard for me to answer because I don't feel like Now, maybe further down my road, I might be able to find things that maybe I was proud of. But right now, I think I'm only a year out. It still feels so dark to me. So I don't have a lot of those moments. But he never cussed me out or called me a name. He has always been pretty good with our children. He never was a yeller, even though he was really unsupportive he was also always very generous with his time but also i just it's so crazy because you don't see the things that really are in your relationship at that time he might have done the dishes one night and i took that one night and pulled it along for everything else does that make sense
0: mhm mhm
1: so at times you're thinking well wow, he doesn't scream
0: at our kids, so he must be a good guy. At least not all the time. Or he didn't scream that one time or whatever. Or the other night, he was with us and he was great, so I'm lucky. A lot of women are in abusive relationships and they don't realize it because they think, I'm so lucky, such a great guy. So that's really, really common.
1: I also don't think women realize how much effort and work they put in to make their spouse a good guy. And what I mean by that is, a lot of the things I was proud of was actually things that I was doing, not what he was doing. I would make sure we were at family gatherings. I made sure our kids looked good. I made sure we were going to church on time. And, you know, all those things that were important to me and that I felt were essential to building a good family, I did. And instead of looking at how much work I was putting into, I am thinking, what does he really give to me or provide for me in this situation. I included him in that. I made it like it was his, like this was his accomplishments. And I think that that's where my mind got a little bit skewed. Like we had a good family and I looked at it like that, but I didn't realize that so much of it was my own work and wasn't really his work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A
0: lot of women do that. They attribute characteristics to him that actually she has, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, that comparison is interesting because there's always going to be someone who seems like they have it worse. And so you think, well, all marriages must have problems, but like the problems we have seem quote unquote manageable or, you know, something like that. So here you are thinking these are just maturity things or that like you're so lucky in some ways. Were there any other factors that kept you from seeing
1: the abuse? Shame. I was married really young and a lot of people questioned that. And I had family and friends both tell me I was too young. And I felt the pressure there to stay and keep it together and not fail. At this. Yeah, I think that's why I kept it together and stayed a lot longer. And I didn't want to admit to anybody that I failed. And I think I realized years ago that this was failing, but I didn't want to admit it to myself because I wanted to continue. I didn't want to fail at this. I didn't want to fail at my marriage.
0: It's so interesting because you weren't failing, right? You had a spouse that was failing but you weren't, but it feels like that when you're being emotionally abused because you think everything is your fault, right? Or that you're responsible for everything or whatever. So that's common as well.
1: Let's talk about what it took for you to leave. Oh man. So I think of every little pinpoint, like on a map that So many people were involved in this and it started years ago from, I had just a few friends that I would communicate with about it, about my relationship with the problem with those friends, even though they were a good outlet for a release, they didn't really understand my situation because they didn't have a spouse like that. I mean, they knew it was bad and they felt sorry for me. I could feel that. They understood it. They gave me the space to be able to talk to them, which I appreciate, but they just weren't in the same situation. And um, a lot of times the friends that I did communicate with had pretty decent marriages and it made me feel again, like I needed to be more like them and I needed to maybe not complain as much, you know? Did any of them say you are in an abusive relationship? He's abusing you? I don't think those words were ever used, no. So they also just didn't
0: understand abuse, period. I mean, they're not going through it, but sometimes even if people are going through it, you can get empathy and it makes sense to them, but they still don't even use those words because they don't know to describe its abuse either. They might just give you empathy or validation. But because abuse is so misunderstood, it's hard for people to actually say those words because
1: those words carry a lot of weight, right? I think maybe, too, they didn't know if they could say those words to me or that it would hurt me in some way. Okay, so how do you recognize that it is abuse? So I um, ended up in a Facebook group with one of the members of BTR, and she was very open about it, which I'm so grateful for, and I'm so grateful for women who are open about it. And the group that we were in had actually nothing to do with this topic. She was just open and shared a lot of her personal life. And I'm, again, I'm so grateful for that. And so I joined the BTR community and that kind of opened up a whole new world for me where I saw so many different relationships and I started to understand that everybody's looks different. But even still then at the very beginning, I don't think I was ready to let go of the idea of keeping my marriage together. And then it started to get really bad. And I reached out and my husband had sent me some really abusive videos. Videos of him talking to me in a very violent and perverse way.
0: So he had recorded these and then he sent them to you?
1: Yes. And I didn't know what to do. And I finally sent them to someone into the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. And they told me, this is not okay. You need help. You need to get out. And within, I think, 10 minutes, I had a whole group of women together supporting me and helping me through this.
0: Wow. I'm going to take a short break here to talk about trauma, mama, husband, drama. So many women who go through this, they're Friends, family member, clergy, people that are around really don't understand. And they say things that are hurtful when they're really genuinely trying to help. They just don't get it. And so the things they say, like, why aren't you just over this? Or why don't you stop talking about him? If you were over it, you would stop, or I don't know. The myriad of things that people say that might be well-meaning, might not be well-meaning, but are really triggery and hurtful. They're difficult to go through. And Trauma Mama Husband Drama was designed to be able to give friends and family to help them understand what you're going through, to help them understand the trauma you've experienced. To order Trauma Mama Husband Drama, you can go to our website, btr.org backslash books, or you can go directly to Amazon and search Trauma Mama Husband Drama. When you order it, please also follow that up with a verified review from Amazon because every single one of your reviews helps isolated women find it on Amazon. Even if they don't buy the book, they can still find this free podcast. So again, we really appreciate your comments on this episode on our website, posting about it. We just want every woman to be able to have access to this free podcast and the information here. So is that the moment you recognized I'm in an abusive relationship? It kind of took that?
1: or I really believe that was the moment I really realized and it became very clear to me. Honestly, when someone said and witnessed it, I think the problem for me is I always felt like maybe I was being dramatic. And so when someone actually got to witness it, they said to me, no, this is not okay. And then they said, this is abusive is when I realized that it was time probably to make a big change. I decide to start opening up and start talking a little bit more and sharing more of my experiences. So these people could really understand what I was going through and what it would really take for me to get out of this. Because It seemed so big at the time and so scary because every little thing from I was worried about his reaction, about my finances, about my kids, about this home that we had just rented together, what would we do? We had just gotten a new dog and there were so many things that I was worried about that it just felt so big and I wanted them to understand really the magnitude of what they're asking me to do and each and every step of the way they told me it was okay and it hurt but I was so glad that they really pushed me and kept telling me over and over no this is not okay even when I wanted it to be okay so I could just almost stop the pain when you say they pushed you you mean you would
0: say but I can't because I've got this we've just got this dog and I can't because of this or I can't because of that So you're sort of making excuses for yourself because you're scared. Am I hearing you right?
1: Yeah. I wouldn't even say it was about the dog. It was more they were trying to tell me the next step. And it was almost like I was scared. Each step I was scared to take, telling him this was over, telling him he couldn't come back to my home and enforcing that was a step that I didn't think I was capable of doing. And they told me I could. And so I kept taking that step.
0: So you're getting permission to do this. Did you get a lot of flack? Like, whoa, you've like joined a bunch of crazy women and they're telling you to do these crazy things. Did you get any flack like that? From him, I did. Yeah. What about your like real life friends and family? What did they think? No, no, not a single person gave me any flack. So the people in your real life, they were like supporting
1: you as well. Yeah. You know, I should go back a little bit because I had left him seven different times before this time. And I think family and the friends that I had opened up to were hesitant to believe it this time too. But they were excited. And I think all of them were going to continually support me no matter how many times it took for me to leave. So let's talk about the
0: first few months after you left. That's a hard, hard time for victims. It feels like you're like ripping your own heart out or cutting your own arm off. Talk about
1: that. Like, how did you get through that time? So that was a really, really hard time for me. I would make fun of the situation by saying I lived in a house of depression. I wasn't really, I would come home from work and lay on the couch. I watched the same movies over and over and over again every night. Lord of the Rings and Forrest Gump. I don't know why. Don't ask. (laughs) But I would watch them over and over again. I was just really sad and fearful. And I didn't know if I could really do it financially and just to continue on. It didn't feel real to me because I had tried so many times that it just felt like, it was going to be never ending.
0: Yeah. A lot of women turn to movies. I watched all seven seasons of The Good Wife. It's a great one for that stage. That stage of like, I call it critical systems only kind of phase where you're also figuring out like who is safe, who isn't safe, who do I want to let in my space? You know, it's a definite important
1: phase. So while I said I was living in that house of depression, there did come a moment where I don't know if you follow this account. It's called Humans of New York. It just talks about different people's lives in New York City. And one of them talked about, it was a woman who was talking about her mother who was really ill and had a lot of depression issues. And her mom would say, you know, didn't really feel like she had a lot to live for. But then she would say, but then I bit into a delicious peach. And that story changed my life almost because I started looking for tender mercies. And I believe that that's what held me up along with the women from the betrayal trauma recovery, but just constantly looking for those tender mercies and finding those simple things. And I think a lot of times it feels so dark and we feel like we need something of a greater magnitude to take us out of that darkness instead of looking for those little things, that little speck of light almost. And I do want to share one significant tender mercy. And it's a night I came home and I was exhausted and I just wanted a bowl of cereal and a clean spoon. And like I said before, I hadn't really been keeping up with my housework. There's probably a lot of dishes and I just wanted there to be that one clean spoon. And when I opened up the drawer, there was, one last clean spoon. And I just remember thinking, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because that's all I needed was a bowl of cereal and a clean spoon. And I feel like it's so important for women to hang on to those like little moments every single day to try to find something in their life that is small, but so significant into carrying on and into their recovery.
0: Mm-hmm yeah that's that's cool. Appreciate the bite of the peach and the one clean spoon and maybe that you don't have sand in your bed. you know <laughs> little things the little things. so it's been a year since that fateful day when you decided I am going to leave for good this time. What victories have you celebrated during this first year?
1: My biggest victory is. And I've had so many, but the one biggest one, this is crazy. I painted my piano pink. And this seems so weird for everybody, but in my relationship, I was always told that I couldn't do anything, but I would always want to do these projects. And he was a carpenter and he would always tell me that they were too hard If I explained to him what I was going to do, he would tell me it wouldn't turn out right or it would look like garbage. He was always saying that it would look like garbage. So I was so scared to do anything. And when I started painting this piano, I thought it was going to look like garbage because that's what I had been told, that anything I did was going to look like. And it is so beautiful. (laughs) I love that piano and it turned out so good. Is it hot pink? Is it light pink? So what I was going for is a dusk pink. So I love the Arizona sunset and it's just this very pastel light pink. Cool. I love that
0: phase. I call it experimentation where you feel like, you know what, I want to try this because I want to do it. And it's okay if I mess up, right? Because there's probably a part of you that thought this might turn out not great, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right. And the bravery that that takes is actually really a lot, especially after you've been in an abusive situation where everything seems like it's going to just fail. So that's awesome for our listeners. When you try something like that and it does fail, like take heart. It's okay. Like you tried it. That's so awesome that yours turned out so well. So what are your goals for the next year? What are you looking forward to?
1: One thing I accomplished is I moved into a permanent home this year too, so I want to start kind of remodeling and really doing a little bit of interior decorating that I've never gotten to do either, really. And I want to really learn how to play that piano that I just finished painting and then setting better boundaries for myself. I'm trying to work on that because I still have bad boundaries. And then just strengthening my faith in my home and in myself, continuing on with that. When you talk about
0: boundaries, what things are you kind of struggling with right now in terms of boundaries?
1: Getting sucked into the constant gaslighting. I still participate in it. And I get upset and I beat myself up over it. And I go back to thinking it's my fault or I shouldn't have engaged and I really, really want to cut communication and try to go no contact. I think Gray Rock. Do the Gray Rock stuff.
0: Let's talk about
1: that for a minute. So
0: many people think that divorce is the end of the abuse, right? But they don't realize it's not. It continues after, especially if you share children. And you have several children. And so you're forced to interact with their father, who is continuing to abuse you. So learning boundaries for the long haul is really important because this will continue to happen forever. You can figure out how to navigate that. Have you found that being away from him has enabled you to grow stronger so that now you're able to even consider boundaries that you hadn't been able to consider before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Getting out of it has made me recognize it more, too. I actually have been doing a lot with anger lately as well. I think, you know, there's those five or seven uh, grief cycles and I am in the cycle of anger. And so I get really upset and really angry. And that is another reason why I want to cut communication, because I think that that's really hard to kind of go through that when you're still grieving all the time, because you're still sitting in that abuse. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like I've come so far. I've tried my
0: hardest to get away from him. I've tried my hardest to to build a new life for myself. And yet I'm still forced to endure this abuse on some level. And that anger is valid. And many women are using valid and righteous anger to propel themselves even more forward and to continue to protect themselves and get to safety. The anger, I think, in that stage is a really good thing to kind of lean into for a little while because it can really help you you know, make positive changes and help you learn how to you know, set boundaries that you need to set. So the anger is better than the feeling sorry for them, right? Because feeling sorry for them or getting hooked
1: into that pity is how they manipulate us. The anger for me is a protection, too. It's like a shield. But the problem with anger and showing that anger is to an abuser, that's the same as love. It's getting them the same amount of attention that that they're seeking. That's the lifeline that I want to cut off and something that I continually want to work on.
0: Let's talk about that for a second for our listeners who haven't heard of this concept. So for like a narcissist or men of this type... They can't really tell the difference between love or hate. All they can tell is the intensity of the emotion, and that's what they crave. So it's either a lot of praise and what feels like sort of intimacy to them, like you love them, you appreciate them, whatever, or some big fight, right? But either one is what they want. They want those extreme emotions, and they can't really tell the difference between the two because you wonder, like, why does he keep doing this and causing this chaos and pain? They just want to feel. But they don't care what it is. They're not looking for peace. And when you start stepping into, I would like peace and safety, that is where, you know, generally speaking, if they don't want peace and safety, you're going to part ways there because they're always going to want the chaos and the pain because they feed off of those extreme emotions. Do you have any advice for women who might have the same fears that you did?
1: Yeah, You Need to Find Support. Betrayal Trauma Recovery is a great group for that, and I know I'm on this podcast. I want everyone to know I'm not pitching this because I'm on here. It changed my life being a part of that group. I do not think I would have been able to get out of my situation without their support, and that support has not ended. That support continues on, and it just keeps growing. I have not ended those relationships. I've only grown And extended those relationships. And as my situation changes, I just meet new people and new women and find resources in just those new friendships that I've created in that group. And then the other thing is just what we talked about in the beginning, and that's don't compare your situation to someone else's. That is so important and something that I wish all women would stop doing. I know There's that poster, comparison is a thief of joy, but I don't think women recognize when it really truly is doing them so much harm. And so I just would encourage all women to not look at someone else and say, their situation's worse and mine isn't. I would encourage women to look more at, is the behavior acceptable? Are they happy? Is what their husband doing in line with their beliefs and standards. And if they're not, that's that's the problem. It doesn't need to be someone else's standards or beliefs. It's what they're comfortable with. And I wish a lot more women would look at that.
0: Meaning, I'm not okay with porn in my home, or I'm not okay with yelling, or I'm not okay with whatever the behavior is this is not acceptable for me in my home and I don't feel safe rather than thinking, well, these other people think he's an okay guy, which happens. It sounds like the people around you were like, hello, Lee, you know, but in so many of the situations, people are like, he's such a good guy. Why are you freaking out
1: or overreacting? Right. You also might find someone that says that pornography is okay. I had a lot of friends tell me that like, why was I upset? Or I had people tell me that it's okay that he's drinking, we're having a good time, those kind of things. And uh, again, that put a lot of shame and guilt on me because I thought I was taking the fun out of our lives. Or I thought there was something wrong with me that I thought that pornography was wrong. And maybe it was okay. And maybe it was beneficial to our relationship. Right. Right.
0: Having the confidence to know, you know, other people might feel differently, but this is my home and this is my life and I deserve to feel safe and I want to be able to live a life that is consistent with my own values. Yes, absolutely. If you could go
1: back in time and talk to yourself, even when you were dating, what would you say? There were red flags and I really wish I would have looked at those and told myself, I wasn't willing to accept that or put up with it. Now I'm going to be 35 in August. And I know that there are so many things that I'm just not willing to put up with. And even though someone might tell me that they're not significant enough or they're not really a problem, I will go by my own standards. And I think that that's something that I've learned and would like to tell my younger self, like, Hey, don't go by the world's standards, I guess, that popular saying. Don't go by the world's standards. I would go by my standards.
0: And even some women don't go by maybe your church's standards. And what I mean by that is not the standards of obedience to commandments or other things, but people who might say, well, you just need to love and serve and then everything will be okay and don't judge or something, right? those types of things that like an external church or a therapist or somebody might put on you to be like, no, tolerate this for some reason or be patient with it for some reason. I think that's another way that we can say, no, 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 no. I I
1: deserve to feel safe in my own home. One analogy that I'm going to use here is what you're comfortable with, right? It's what you're comfortable with. And Would you be comfortable with a rock in your shoe? And would you continue to walk with a rock in your shoe? Or would you remove that shoe and take out that rock? And even if someone said, you could walk a little bit longer, it's okay. No, you're uncomfortable with that rock in that shoe. You would take the time to sit down and take off that shoe and take out that rock.
0: But how is that rock going to get around without you? If someone said that to you, like, well, what's the rock going to do if you take it out of your shoe? Don't you feel bad for the rock? You know, you can be like, uh, the rock can do whatever it wants, right? It's not going to be in my shoe. It can do its own thing. It's an adult rock. It can handle it. Me taking it out has nothing to do with the rock. Whatever helps women to be
1: like, I can do this is what works and it's different for everyone I just want to say because I know they're gonna to listen to this to all my betrayal trauma recovery women that helped me through this and the ones that I'm gonna meet in the future I am so grateful for each and every single one of you and I really don't think I could be where I am and I don't think I could be going where I'm going without their continual support so I'm so grateful and we're grateful for
0: you it's women like you and survivors like you that make betrayal trauma recovery possible so thank you so much lee for coming on today's episode thank you so much Anne. Like I said, next week I'll be talking to Lee about her setting this no contact boundary and what she went through. A lot of you are really interested in no contact. You might have children with your ex, which is Lee's situation. So she was just like, how do I set no contact? So, in between today and next week's session, was actually a span of months where I talked to Lee um, several times personally to kind of set up how to do that. She ended up implementing no contact. We're going to talk about how she did that and then the result of that and how she's feeling now. So stay tuned for next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to our website, btr.org. Scroll down to the bottom. Click on support the podcast. Again, thank you for all of your well wishes. I've been really down lately and it's really made a difference and I really appreciate your support. Until next week, stay safe out there.